you sound like. All right, are we gonna do it? Let's go. All right, we are doing it. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wages of Cinema. As Andrew was doing, Snoke. General. (laughs) That was bad. All right, so we're back to talk about the list movies, and this is our last episode of the year. The last of the list. We licked it. Yes, we each watched twenty-six films. Lasciviously. Was that word? Never mind. <laughs> yes, and uh, so now we've come to the end where I have watched a movie that Andrew gave me to watch, and Andrew has watched a movie I gave him to watch. But I start off this week uh, because I ended off the last episode. So uh, the movie that we had to talk about is The Five Thousand Fingers of Dr. T. All right, if you have not heard of this film, this is the hiddenest of hidden gems. The hiddenest? Yes. Is it the hidden? The, is it the hiddenestberg? It's super hidden. <laughs> the hiddenberg. <laughs> and the hiddenberg. It is that, that'd be a, a live-action film made in the early fifties, produced by Stanley Kramer and written by Dr. Seuss. He not yeah. only wrote the script, but he wrote or the story. He wrote the lyrics to the songs that are that are yes. that they sing. That's right. Now to give you people uh, a bit of background, because I have a feeling that a number of you, you people, you uninformed Seuss people, who think that Seuss is nothing but you know cash in references in the Lorax and yeah. Horton hears a who. You know you people. You know I don't give a Horton who. Or Neither do I. Yeah, let's talk about a movie that Dr. Seuss actually had his hands in, and then he never made a movie again. Right. I mean, he made specials, but this was his only time making a feature film uh, involved with. Now, I think the director, I don't know, it's some guy named like Roy Roland or something. Rowland. Yeah. I had never heard of this guy. It's a Dr. Seuss movie. Right. That's what it comes down to. Now, the, the setup... a unique movie. Man, let's get. <laughs> but let's try to let me let me bottle it up for people because so, they're wondering. Well, what is this about? Is right. this one of his kids' movies? It is a children's film. Uh, the main character is a child, and uh, he's, he's um, played by. Oh God, why don't I have his name in front? His of His name me? is Bart Collins. Bart, yeah, first, but not but not Bart Simpson. Bart Collins. He starts off the movie uh, playing piano. He's at the piano and he's getting. Uh, lessons from his teacher, Doctor Terwilliker. Yeah, and played by Hans Conrad, voice of um, Captain Hook. Uh, Captain Hook, and also uh, Snidely Whiplash and Duck and uh, Dudley Do Right. Um, and Doctor Terwilliker immediately seems like a dick. Oh yeah, um, he is somebody who is uh, you know saying if you don't practice, you'll never become a concert pianist. Or I think that's his mother who says that. He says Excuse that. Me. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of pressure on him, but uh, both from his mother and from this this doctor. Um, and what doctor happened, of pianos, yeah, apparently. But what happens is he falls into uh, he falls asleep, or or is he hypnotized? He's fa- he falls asleep. Okay, and that's what I like about this film. There are lots of there are lots of films that are like, oh, it was all a dream. But at least, but this film was up front and said and started out with, oh, it's a dream. Yeah, and it got well, that out of the way. The way to say this very simply, it's a bit like um, uh, Doctor Seuss's Alice's Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, or and, Wizard of Oz. A mix of it, yeah, because it's also the thing where, again, Doctor Twilliker is Doctor T in this in this world. That he what happens is Bart goes into this other dimension 
which is filled with uh, very huge warped sets, uh, a little bit pre-Tim Burton. A giant um, piano. Yeah, it's, but what happens, though, the main conceit is that in this world, Dr. Twilliker has a very, very long piano, and his plot is to get all of these children together so that they can have a gigantic concert. Yes. And it it seems he like he's five, a... He wants 500 boys <laughs> to play the piano at the same time, and hence that's the where title. the 5,000 fingers come from. Yes, hence the title. Although, in a bit of production history, they could only get 150 kids. Well... But I guess they did because it sounds cool. Well, they weren't going to get ten thousand orcs for uh, for the two towers. So. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, first thing, I actually I kind of like the kid actor in the movie. I like him. He's not great. No, but he's but better he, than other child actors they could have gotten. He's not overdoing it, like in the way that kid actor bad kid actors do. It's like, wow, or oh my my gosh. And, it, but it, he, you know, he's understated and he sounds like a kid. He's so not, he, even though he's not the best actor, he seems genuine. He's not the he's not like the guy on he's not like the kid on Are You Afraid of the Dark? Right. Ew. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, he, he's, got... he's able to. The one thing about him, he—it's uh, pretty obvious he's not singing. No. Now I should mention, like I said, this is a musical. Um, one slight fault I have with the movie is that it—it it only becomes a musical about 25 minutes into the movie. Like there's this moment where I should mention that there's another character, a plumber. Uh, who Mr. has a very Zabladowski. Yeah, a lot of characters have long names in this movie. Terwilliker, Zabladowski. It's Dr. Seuss. Yeah, that's I, true. When you go by Dr. Seuss standards, those things are like uh, Smith. <laughs> that's true. Um, now, the very first song comes 25 minutes in the movie. It's called Dream Stuff. Right. It's a very kind of somber song. Kind of somber. I wish that the... I wish the movie had opened with a song. I th but here's the thing. There were supposed to be more songs in this film. Oh, were there? I heard, uh, okay. Joe Dante talked about it in Trailers from Hell. Good okay. old Joe Dante. The yeah. man with 200 favorite films. Yeah. Uh, he said they cut down the number of films. It, it, it became eight. The original number was 16. All right, well, that is a lot. I mean, the thing is, in this movie, it's the thing. The thing about it is that it's not a musical for the first, like I said, first twenty-five minutes, and then there are a lot of songs. Oh yeah. Like even there's a scene where um, Bart and Zabladowski are, I guess they're caught or something, or they have to. Yeah. They're they're put in an elevator, and this guy with a gig this elevator operator with has a black hood yeah he's taking him down he, he sings, sings a, a song. song he gets a musical number that was a that was a cool song the song that came before it though was kind of unnecessary the songs are hit or miss there yeah. are good songs and then there are not good songs like the bart has like dream stuff i think was kind of eh. i think the problem with a lot of the songs is that there isn't people just kind of singing songs and characters stand around well, oh yeah, or Bart is and, kind of like wandering around. He's like, he has that song, "You have no right." Right, you the have one no about right. Right about kids, and and he's just kind of wandering around the set, where people just stand around and people just march from here to there, and there's there's not a lot of energy in those scenes. No, I don't think so. But the songs, I think, are really are really good. Dream stuff, even though it's kind of somber and even though not much happens, that's still a good song. There is some good energy. I mean, there's a song also. Uh, that Zabladowski is kind of getting 
do we say that he's almost kind of getting seduced uh, into Hypno- doing hypno- what? Hypnotized. hypnotized. He's getting hypnotized with lots of bribery by uh, Dr. Yeah. T as he's offering the all sorts of food. Song. Yeah, I like that song a lot. That's I lo- like that the was, songs that have energy. That was the most energetic one. And then there's the big musical number down in the dungeon. Which, well, which it doesn't. That's not that, really a song. It's not that's, a song. That is a that is that's so uh, it's, overindulgent. It's overindulgent, but it's like we're gonna stop the movie to do this song, <laughs> and you guys are gonna watch it. And it's, I'm just like, I am so glad we stopped the movie to see this musical number. You know what it's like? It's the, because what happens is like Bart goes in the dungeon. That's where all the musicians are kept, and there's they're all playing these crazy instruments and. Yeah. This gigantic symphony. Yeah. But it's and they're kind of dancing. Right. And it's otherworldly, but it's it's in live action, so it's really believable. Like it, I, it never seems yeah. too outlandish. I that it uh, Okay. All right. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm going to say this. Like I said, I think this is a this is an entertaining movie. I had a lot of fun watching it. I think it was actually pretty good. Um I wish it was animated. I think if it was an animated like m- movie, you would have been able. I would have bought into it like even more than I already was. Like, because this, you know, Doctor Seuss thinks in kind of this wild, abstract way. Right. You know, obviously that's where a lot of his books come from. Right. That's why. That's why something like the Cat in the Hat is such a unquantifiable disaster because you make the Cat in the Hat into a real thing. And why the original Grinch television special is better than the, the Jim, one Carrey with Jim Carrey one. Yeah, I don't hate the Jim Carrey one, but that one is uh, a bit overblown. But what about this, this? What about the live action aspect of this worked against it? Um, I just like for you know when you're talking about that number involving all of the the, the green skin men playing instruments, yeah. and all that stuff. I think that the green skin part distracted me a little bit. I guess they did they did a decent job making them up, but I was always distracted by how green they looked hmm. and how like I don't know, I, just something about was, them. They weren't like neon lime green. They were just kind of a dull uh I guess. But maybe that's just the way I look at it. Maybe that was just how it was photographed. Maybe it looked different on set. But um like if that was something else like if they were if an anim- I'm, don't worry, I'm getting here. Um, if an animator had been allowed to play a little bit with that, then maybe could have expanded it. Like that was almost. I was reminded of when I've seen uh, something like Winnie the Pooh, and they had the Heffalumps and Woozles number. Right. And they could just go crazy with it. Here, or like the pink elephant sequence in Dumbo. Yeah, exactly. It's like they were kind of trying to go crazy, but they're still kind of bound to that set, and so it's entertaining, but it felt like it could have gone a little bit further. But I think though it's still it's still amazing what they're able to do. Oh, oh absolutely! In that musical sequence, they have all these. I that's what surprises me so much. I think this is why live action works in its favor hmm. because they're able to get all these crazy instruments, which they actually make and carry around. And there's and you know no computer animation. Yeah. And they move they take these things and use them like they're real instruments mm. and you know you have the guy who swings and rings that bell uh, uh in in the one part and you know the mm. super long trumpets yeah and i'm still astounded that they did all that i think maybe part of it was just because uh um maybe some of the shots were a little static for me maybe i maybe that was just a minor complaint and the sets are really great oh too. oh the sets are fantastic this was uh it's a it's a joy to look at all the stuff in this movie. I love the little parts of this. I love that 
moment where they um the giant arms with hands are hanging from the wall yeah and the kid is able to hide by by sitting in the hands <laughs> yes exactly that's a great little moment there are so many there's a great little hand moments motif here. all throughout the the film and in that that location yeah you, you see like shadows of hands and hands that are pointing directions and it's yeah. all, it's you know it's about this movie had more imagination than i expected yeah like dr seuss was able to translate just like the kind of worlds that he like i don't know does he did he draw the books too was that yes, someone else that was him oh okay because i thought he just wrote the story no well dr seuss got to start as a political cartoonist Okay, and then he he got into children's literature. And, All right, I mean, I thought maybe he, I thought maybe he had a say in how the the things would look, but I didn't know that he drew but they looked, all of it. They they looked a lo- in the movie. They looked a, spot on. Yeah, like even the piano looks like something that he had a role in in making <laughs> yeah. that. And uh, and of course there. Now let's talk a little bit about Hans Conrad because he was my favorite part of this movie. Yeah, he was, he was. He was having the time of his the, life. He was the best actor in this film and the most memorable character. Playing the playing a proto Gargamel. Yeah, <laughs> from the Smurfs. I, there's so many. He's so cartoonish. Yeah, maybe that was part of it. Maybe that's what one of the things I mean when I talk about animation. He's just maybe that though. He's like the one. He's one of the things that. He's a live-action character, but he's going so cartoonish that he's capturing like an animated spirit yeah. as a human being. Like his musical number, he has a whole musical number about getting clothed. Yes, uh, by his servants, which uh, some of you may or may not know. This was that was the inspiration for the Mr. Burns See My Vest musical number from uh, uh, The Simpsons. Really? Yeah. Huh. A bit. Well, that and uh, and Beauty and the Beast, of course. Right. Yeah. See my vest. See my vest. See my big gorilla chest. They even mentioned it in the Welcome to the Basement episode. Right. Um. Now. Yeah. Uh, now, I mean, there are a couple of things like the the main the the other main adult actors are okay. They're okay. They're they're you know standard fifties actors. You have the one actor played by. Uh, uh, I have his name written down here. Peter Lynn Hayes plays uh, Zabludowski. He's the only plumber I've ever seen whose hair is perfectly coiffed yes. and uh, and put in pomade. Yeah. You know, he's very, very 1950s. And so is the actress, too, um, yeah. who I don't have in front of me. But um, And they're fine. Her I, hair is perfectly coiffed as well. Yes. Um, yeah. I. It's the kind of movie that, you know, it's 88 minutes and... It goes by pretty fast. Yeah. Uh, I think if I had been a kid, I might have even liked it more. It, it kind of speaks to pure childlike imagination, which yeah. of course was like, Seuss's kind of like a film trait. like like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, where yeah. where you know it's it's full of imagination, and then sometimes it has parts that scare kids. Yeah, I think Willy. I still like Willy Wonka more because I think the songs in that are just more memorable. Right. Like with this, the songs. With a couple of exceptions, they aren't terribly memorable, but they're okay. I mean, Seuss makes them interesting to listen to. I just, I just don't hear myself singing them to myself. You know, it's not like uh, one of the songs from Willy Wonka. <laughs> the, cho- the candy man can cause he takes a bit right. of and All right, you got ten seconds. Final thoughts on this film. Um, I think Macatania once had uh, a term spadoinkle. Yeah. This movie was very spadoinkle. Um, it's like Alice in Wonderland, but fun. All right. Yeah. 
So, so we move on from a film that Jack says should have been animated to a film that is an animation classic. Uh, yeah, that's it, where it's been a, called a, that. a rather recent animated classic. Yeah, I've heard this me... film on the on the DVD box. It said right on the front, Star. "The Star Wars of feature animation." Well, that's one of those TV critics that gets paid to say something like that. True, but it's still intriguing. It was. Yeah, I think that's he, one of those. He was working which, that day. I think that. It was funny because years and years ago when I first saw the DVD and it had that quote on it, I'm like, huh, maybe I should watch this. And for right. some reason, I never did. Um, but we're talking about Princess Mononoke by the great uh, Japanese filmmaker Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, it's funny because this was um, the first of many times that he said he would retire after he's done with this. <laughs> I imagine it must have taken a lot of work because it is a true epic in the sense, in many senses of the word. Right. Uh, Princess Mononoke for a long while was the highest grossing film in Japan. Not that long. What happened? It was the highest grossing movie in Japan for maybe until like, Titanic came. Along. Yeah, so for like two months. And then Titanic was the highest grossing film until Spirited Away. Are you sure? I believe so. But then that got over overdone by Frozen. Okay. And then Star Wars: The Force Awakens will destroy all of those as well. It, but it destroys everything. It's a very highly regarded film in Japan and in America. Hmm. And it's yes. about. Okay. <laughs> well, there's a lot of things about. I think in the basic I, I, sense let me, you could let me say, say what it's about because sure. I watched it. Well, okay, good. I did too. Good. It's about a prince named Ashitaka. Mm -hmm. He lives in a remote part of Japan, and one day a demon boar attacks his village. He kills it, but it infects him with a curse that will kill him if he doesn't find a way to break the curse. The demon. And the this brings him yeah. to a town uh, in, on the frontier called Iron Town, where the people are in con who are fighting against. Uh, the spirits and the mo and the animals of the forest. I should I should add that the the boar is demon like in that he he has a bit of like a spaghetti monster quality. Yeah, it's a, it's a boar spaghetti monster. He's got like all these wormy gelatin things coming out of him. He he is turned into a demon because he's been wounded by the by by the uh, musket ball yeah. that that these these uh, iron makers have. He's made. he's cursed to die too. Who? Ashitaka. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, he's he's the told by yeah the, the curse will kill him. He's basically told by the town elder, you know, you can't change your fate, but you can rise to meet it. Right. That's kind of like the way that it's phrased, very Japanese like. And um, now let me get let me get out of the way my major gripe with this film. Oh I yeah, have a gripe. a gripe. Okay, please. This is not anybody's fault who made it. The problem is that the English dubbing. I watched this in English is not very good. Mm. There are problems with it. This happens with a lot of Studio Ghibli films, or, or sometimes major animated films that come to America. Okay. Now, of course, you're not gonna, uh, a lot of they have to be they have to be dubbed for an American market. Sometimes yeah. they do this very well. Spirited Away is very good hmm. in in its in its voice acting. Uh, do you think some of Princess Mononoke is one that didn't do it well? There are some good voice actors. In the there movie. are some good. It's not the voice actors' fault though. There's there's, a, the there's a big process in anime 
or any foreign animated film where you have to dub in the lines. And this involves a lot of translation. It involves, uh, and when you can't get a good translation, you have to see what, what the filmmakers intended. You have to get good voice actors and you have to sync it up with what the characters are saying on screen. Yeah. And this can be tough. It's not an easy thing to do, but a lot of films do it right. Hmm. And the English version is not that great of a dub. No, I. So do you think it's more on the part of the of the whoever directed the actors in the voice studio, or was it on? It, it's uh, hard to say because there are so many steps in localizing. And uh, I. It's funny that you mentioned this because okay, so here's where I'm coming from with this movie. I. I this when I rewatched this movie for for today, I. I actually watched it for the first time in English. Okay. The first times that I watched it were actually in Japanese. I saw... That actually works to your advantage in two ways. Because, <laughs> first, it's yeah. in the language it was written in. Yes. Second, you can't tell if the voice actors are doing a good or bad job anyway. I The voice actors were, were, were really good in, in the under Miyazaki's direction. Like, I was getting... Full Metal Miyazaki, so right. to speak. Whereas um, Full Metal Miyazaki, that's our new blog, by the way. But more on that later. <laughs> you can follow that along with Lines from Linus. Right. And um, I'd say that, yeah, the, 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 I definitely prefer the time when I saw it in Japanese. Because like, the first time I saw the movie, it was, of all things, like Turner Classic Movies had a Miyazaki series like late at night, and I taped it. And when I watched it, I'd never seen it before. That's That was the first way I saw it. And I'm like... Oh my god, this is such a great movie. Yeah. And then I went and saw it on the big screen a few years ago, and I'm like, oh my god, this is even better than I remembered. <laughs> now watching it today, it's like I still love it, but yeah, there's something a little off about some of the voices. You know what I think it is? What? So here's what happened with this movie, unfortunately. Um, and this is one of those times where I, I want to kick Harvey Weinstein in the balls. Um, Another time. Yeah, well... Okay, so what happened was Miramax acquired this movie in, uh, after it became such a big hit. Right. Before this, Miyazaki, his appearance in the U.S. was actually very scattered. Totoro got, like I think, a VHS release or right. a, a very small theatrical release. Did Grave of the Fireflies get a release? Maybe. Those films came out at the same time. I don't know if... I think, of all things, I think Totoro... I, I'm, I'm not making this up. I think it actually got distributed by Troma. Oh. initially, which is so <laughs> weird. Although it does make sense. I mean, if any one company was going to take a chance on, on a film like Totoro, yeah. it would probably have been Troma. Yeah. But the point is, though, for, for a long time, uh, Miyazaki movies actually didn't get seen in the U.S., but because Princess Mononoke was such a monumental hit, right. you know, Miramax thought, all right, let's get this. Now, now, the thing was, originally Harvey Weinstein wanted to actually cut down the movie. He uh, had, you know, that was one of his things that he just did when he acquired movies. But Miyazaki got screwed in the 80s because uh, Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind, was acquired by some company that cut it into ribbons. And since then, he had a clause in all of his movies that if this movie's picked up for distribution, you cannot cut it down. Right. And so Harvey Weinstein said, all right, you're not going to let me cut it up. I'm going to release it as it is. But a, I'm gonna get the voice. My, I'm just gonna get the kind of stable of actors who are kind of working for me right now, right. <laughs> like people like Claire Danes and Billy Bob Thornton, right. who was uh, that was Billy odd Crudup. to hear. Billy Crudup, I thought was fine. He was fine. Again, In it's parts. hard to tell what the problem is. It could be the it could be the, the translation, could be the writing. I think it could be the direction of the voice. It actors. also could be that because I think the script is fine. It comes from Neil Gaiman. 
Right. He he did the adaptation here. And also the other thing was that Weinstein, he he only released it in like 10 theaters in the U.S. at the time, which is just like, uh, I, I, I resent him for that because had this, had this, that. had this movie come out, had this movie gotten a proper release, like Spirited Away, when that finally came out, that got, you know, Disney actually put that out. Right. That by the spirit from Spirit Away onward, Disney distributed the Studio Ghibli movies, um, and they did you know Spirit Away. I got to see that in the theater, and I credit Spirited Away with actually getting me more interested in anime than I'd ever been before. Because wow. when I was a teenager, I don't know if you know this, and it's kind of a shame to admit it. I had a bit, of, <laughs> I bit, I had a bit of snobbery about japanese animation really yeah i just thought it was like i don't see what the big deal is about all this it's like mm. at the time i think i was a little bit like po- like i just thought it was all pokemon because right. we had such a wave of pokemon yeah there was and... a wave in the 90s where a lot of japanese <clears throat> shows got brought over here and they were usually made to sell toys pokemon and digimon and Yu-Gi-Oh! and uh I didn't really Although, get into if, Dragon since Ball. Since you've shared a same shameful secret, I'll share a shameful secret. Oh boy! I liked Yu-Gi-Oh, and I bought a ton of the cards because of that show. <laughs> well, I'll share I'll share a shameful secret you to you. Sh- All right. Another one. I actually went and paid to see the Yu-Gi-Oh movie, and I walked out. All right, I got the high five. five. But the point is, though, I wish that Princess Mononoke. Shameful Mon- secret number two. The point is, I actually like the Yu-Gi-Oh movie. The point is, I wish that Princess Mononoke had been the movie to get me into. Japanese animation. Because if I had seen this in 1999, then I would have been like, oh my god. So there is really good Japanese animation that isn't just Pokemon. Right. Um, so I guess that was where I was going with that. Um, <laughs> but the point is, so, but now what are some things you liked about the movie? I like that this is a film about... It's not really about... Okay. Well, the, here, here's the, the thing. Here's, here's what I love. These characters are all people or beings that live on the fringes. Hmm. Ashitaka is part of a tribe that is not part of mainstream Japanese culture, yeah. even in his time. Mm-hmm. Uh, his clothes are way different, and his even his weapons, and you know the fact that he rides an elk well, I is think pretty it's a, weird. Is it, I think it's a period piece. In it some is. Way. It is actually. It is. An excellent period piece mm. because I I know something about Japanese military history yeah. and about weapons of the time and there are things that are totally historically accurate. Oh yeah, Those weapons. And... Well, that's well for me when I watched this movie the first time I thought, wow, I feel like I'm watching like a Kurosawa movie like, right. in animation in animation and I thought that was so cool. Right, but Ashitaka isn't the only person who's an outsider. The people who live in Irontown are outsiders. Yeah. They are all former former prostitutes and lepers who mm-hmm. have formed their own community, and they defend it with their lives. Mm-hmm. And Lady Eboshi, she leads them. She doesn't. Uh, she you know she doesn't judge. She brings people in, and they are trying to. And they've just hit the jackpot with this iron. They're trying to yeah. make lives for themselves. But also, the animals live on the fringes as well. They are these giant wolves, wolf wolf gods. And, and, yeah, and bison. And, and bison and the forest spirit. Yeah. I, these are all people, these are all characters living on the fringes. Mm-hmm. And they all... And the plot is that is all of them trying to survive. They all have... And they all have a point of view. Like, it could have been very easy... Like, if, for another filmmaker, they could have made, for example, um, 
who who's the the woman leader in Iron Town? Lady Eboshi. So, sorry, yeah, they could make Lady Eboshi the the villain, right? But she's not really. No, she she's just wanting to protect her people. Like, there's a lot of dimension to all the characters, and then you know you want to be on the side of the wolves, but they're also kind of like not totally sympathetic. But you but you're, you sympathize with them because first of all, they are majestic. It they is, are these giant wolves who you were like, man, that's cool. Yeah, and you can ride on them too. But yeah. you know they'll, they'll bite your head off. Yes, <laughs> they will literally there's, bite your head off. The, we should I should mention that. You know, if you want to show this to your kids, that's fine. But it is Miyazaki's only PG thirteen movie. Oh, for good reason. Yeah, but there he's... there are scenes where there people lose their limbs and their heads. Yeah, but there's no blood. It's it's not bloody. No, there's violence. Just... People people die. Yes, people get shot. People get stabbed. Mm-hmm. It's and it's done in such a great way where it's not gratuitous. It's part of this world. Yes. It's something that American animation has lost. Yeah. Where American animation goes out of the way not to show you d- death and violence. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Princess Mononoke, it's a reality of that world. Yes, yes. It, but it, never overdone. No, it, it's just, it's part of the fantasy world that this is set in. Yeah. That, but it shows, it, it makes it feel real enough where it's like, oh, okay, they're not kidding around. No. Um, nothing is... There are real stakes in this Real world. stakes. It's... The way I almost would describe it, it's an action epic about trying to find peace in the world. Because one of the things with Ashitaka is, why can't we just stop the fighting? Why can't we find some middle ground or peace? And the wolves are like, nah, screw the humans. <laughs> and and you know, and the humans are all like, No, we can't have that we can't have those spirits in the forest. If we kill them, then peace will be restored. Right. But they don't see that they're all connected with each other. Right. Like that's that's a big message I think of the movie that you don't get you like how often do you get that in American animation no, or don't. even American movies in general where you know finding some harmony and peace in like a big epic movie. Right. And this is something I noticed this is some oh, this is the way I feel about the film. Okay. The plot is not very intricate. Yeah. No, no, you can follow it, it pretty easy. But it's but it's not it's not even just like easy to follow. It's very slight. Like, hmm. you, I, I would be hard-pressed to say what is Ashitaka's character arc, or what is his, or how does his character progress, or how does he change? I mean, he accomplishes something, mm-hmm. but I, it, it's not like he learns a he great starts lesson. Off, he starts off as a noble character. I think that and he you, stays a noble character. Yeah, but maybe you need that, though, in the scope of all these other characters who are not so noble. It's like a very simple story, kind of like a fairy tale. Yeah, where you know you don't have incredibly deep characters. I wouldn't say any of these characters are incredibly deep. They I, all have their reasons, and they, you understand why they do things. The characters but, are expressing themes, right? But they, they, these, their stories are stretched over this very grand canvas. Yes, and uh, it's, <laughs> I, it's. I wouldn't say it's, it's like one of the deepest movies ever, but it, it for what it sets still, out to accomplish, I feel like it's a. Great and I don't movie. think it's a problem. No, it's one of these things where deep storytelling is not necessary. Where the where the the world takes up most of that space. Yeah. And so, so final thoughts. Final thoughts. Oh man, I can't I can't pack in anything else. It's just <laughs> uh, awesome <laughs> time. <laughs> oh, I have one. I have one more quick question. Where All right, might quick you? Question. How many Miyazaki now have you seen? 
All right, I've seen you saw Porco, Porco Rosso. Rosso pretty I've recently. seen Spirited Away. I've seen okay, uh, Princess Mononoke. Uh, did you see Nausicaa? No. Castle in the Sky. No. You saw Kiki. Yes, Kiki's delivery service. Did you? See, you never saw Castle of Cagliostro. No. Did you see Ponyo? No. Did you see Howl's Moving Castle? No. Did you see I The Wind Rises? <laughs> no. Then you're a terrible person. Well, I'm kidding. It's no. four out of twenty. <laughs> all right. So, which would you say is your favorite? Oh, I don't know. They're all very different. I mean, yeah. I, I know Spirited Away is often called like the best one, but I might prefer Mononoke over Spirited Away. And I like Spirited Away a lot. Like I said, that's the movie know, that... Maybe just because... I like. Maybe I do like Spirited Away the best. I, okay. It I, has a lot of imagination. Right. Like, that's... I know that's Doug Walker's favorite when he's talked about that before. I, I love what he says about this. I totally identify when he talks about Spirited Away. This film is so good, I hate it. <laughs> That seems to be a running thing with you. You sometimes have that problem with movies where it's yeah. like, you made this so well, I hate you for yeah. it. I think that's why people are having problems with the Hateful Eight. They probably realize, you know, you've made this so well, I hate you. <laughs> All right. But when we come back, uh, we're going to give our final thoughts about uh, this whole list experience that we've had. And we'll talk about what we've loved, what we may have not loved, and... Uh, We'll kind of wrap things up in a nice little... And what the worst movie of the season was. Yeah, I guess we should do that too. So, uh, but let's, let's feel the hate flow through you, Andrew. All right, stay tuned. Release your anger.